Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org. Today is going to be the last in our series about the church, and here's my hope. You guys watching line, you guys in Lodi, uh, and us here. I may say some things that are going to not so much offend, but put things in perspective. My hope is that as we talk about the mission of the church, that you will be encouraged that, as we've said from the very beginning, this was his idea. It was not our idea. This church is going to far outlive us. Nothing's going to happen to the church. The church is not going to die. The church is not going away. This was his idea from the very beginning. And we've talked about this whole thing. To be built together, you've got to be together. That's why we've used this, the analogy of the aircraft carrier, that everybody has a job. Everybody has, is part of the mission. And the mission of an aircraft carrier is simple. Launch planes and retrieve them. And everyone plays a part within that. But I also said that, hey, God has tapped you on the shoulder and said, I need you. I have a critical role for you in building my church. And I prepared you for when you were in the womb for this moment to help build my church. We all have a job. We talked about that. And we talked about unity last week. That unity may be a small word, but it's a big, big deal. And we said that unity in a reality to be maintained and a goal to be attained. There is a word that has circulated, and it's circulated for some time, um, but it's a word that's circulated within the church uh, or within the context of church. Of, this word is called deconstruction. And it's not a good word. Because this is being applied to we need to deconstruct the church and deconstruct our faith. Uh, there are many people along this line that have been encouraging people. There have been Christian artists who have now left the faith because they deconstructed the faith. There are many pastors, popular pastors, popular bloggers, popular authors, Christian authors, who have left the faith because they need to deconstruct their faith. And part of this is a reaction, I, I believe, that the church won't answer tough questions or at least dialogue with that. I hope you don't feel that here. We'll take any question. We'll deal with any topic. Uh, lay it down, and if I don't know the answer to it, I'll tell you, I don't know. Matter of fact, this next series coming up is going to allude to some of that process. But deconstruction means this. It's a process of questioning, doubting, and ultimately rejecting aspects of the Christian faith. Now, let me say, it is biblical to ask questions why. It is biblical to know why you believe and dig into that. That is a biblical thing. But what's happening today is this deconstruction, as they call it. If you type deconstruction in YouTube or on, on a Google search, you will find countless people with millions of views who have basically taking, taken what the church stands for and what the church believes and decided, I'm not going to believe in this, I'm not going to believe in this, I'm not going to believe in this, I'm not going to believe in this. Because what you have is you have society pressing in on those things 
And so we're saying, well, that's not pertinent here, that's not pertinent here, that's not pertinent here. The Bible becomes a book about God and not God's Word. Guys, if you take the view, if you're here and you take the view that the Bible is about God and not from God, you can do anything that you want. You can prove anything you want. You live any which way you want. Because it's just a book about God, not an instruction book from God. And the problem is, is as people say, we need to deconstruct or redefine the church. Let me tell you something, guys. The church does not need to be deconstructed. The church does not need to be redesigned. I mean, we can reimagine the church, and that's happened for 2,000 years. I mean, church along, Gregorian chants were part of it. Candles, I mean, well, we got candles now, but candles everywhere. And it seems like people want to go back to certain time frames within the church. And that's fine to reimagine it. As I talk to pastors who are starting new works and new churches, and their line is, man, Tim, we're going to start a church like, 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 like no other church. We're going to be totally different. And I'll always ask, because I'm always intrigued, so how, how, how are you going to be different? What are you going to do? Well, bef- we're going to have the sermon before the worship. And then the worship's going to be kind of spread out, and then communion. And so they tell me this plan, and basically I say, so you're basically taking the chairs on the deck and repositioning them. Because if you look at it, the church, the church every church has the same components. We just decide which place we're going to put it in. And sometimes with you guys, you guys get set with, and we've done it before, where all of a sudden, matter of fact, we had a big wheel up here several times. We called the wheel of service, and you spun it, and wherever it landed is what part of the service we would do. And, you know, people go, oh, that's kind of interesting. But technically, you know, we kind of get set. If you, if you go to certain churches, you know exactly, okay, there's going to be a song, the announcements, the more songs, and the video, then the Tim. And, I mean, it's pretty set, pretty normal. Sometimes we switch, switch it up. But it's certain components of the church. You can rearrange that all you want, but these are the things that the church has been doing since it began. The church that God created, the church that Jesus founded and built, the church that the Holy Spirit energizes, doesn't need to be deconstructed or redefined. It needs to be lived out. That's what it needs to be. The church is not the building. The church is the people. It's the ecclesia that has come together. And we have to focus in on what is the mission that God has given to the church Not only church universal, but the local church. What is the mission of the church? Now let me say this, and this is going to probably make some people uneasy at first. It's not the church's responsibility to right every wrong and meet every need. What? Is that the church? Okay. Can this church meet every need and right every wrong? Yes or no? No. Can we make a difference in a few places? Sure. Can we have impact? Yes, we can. But the church's job is, its mission is not to go out and I'm going to solve every problem, meet every need. Not that we can't do some of that. We do do some of that. We just sent a check, as a church, we just sent a check off to our Ukrainian Russian pastor in Sacramento that he's going to get it to the people there. Uh, because he has pastors on the ground that are dealing with the whole refugee issue. We can do something. But the church's mission 
is not to heal all the evils of the world, because this is an evil world. It will continue to be an evil world. It's moving forward, and sometimes faster than we would like. But it's only by God's grace that our responsibility is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The mission of the church come from Jesus' words. Some of the last words he said here on earth is about the mission that we're supposed to be on. And much like the aircraft carrier illustration we've used, the mission of the aircraft carrier is to launch and retrieve. Everyone on the deck, that's what they're doing, launching and retrieving. Now that aircraft carrier does a lot of other things. It meets a lot of other needs, but it was designed for the purpose to launch and retrieve. I will tell you, I believe with my heart that the purpose, the mission of the church, why we exist is found in Matthew. The mission of the church is to make disciples. Jesus said in Matthew 28, and if you've been through Growing Strong, you've got this thing memorized, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority? All of it. Remember, this is his church, he, his idea, not ours. In heaven and on earth, and it has been given to me. Therefore, go. Now, whenever you see the therefore, you ask, what's the therefore, therefore? Because all authority has been given to him. He's got it all. Because you are my disciples, I'm telling you, because I have the authority and I'm handing that to you, go. In the process of your going, doesn't mean you have to get up and go to a foreign country. Maybe God's calling you to do this. Great. But as you get up in the morning, as you get ready for work, get ready to school, get ready for the kids, in the process of your going, make disciples of everyone, all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey what? Not some of it. And not teaching them to know stuff. It's teaching them to obey everything. I've commanded you, commanded you and surely I'm with you. This is the promise. It's my church. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. Surely I'm with you all to the end of the age. Making disciples is what the church has been called to do. Now the church does a lot of things. But when you look at the things we do, it's aiming at making disciples. Yes, we meet needs. Yes, we meet, come alongside people. We come alongside missions. We come alongside efforts. But the primary goal is to make disciples. And it's to proclaim the gospel. And guys, I'm going to tell you, if we don't have the gospel right, which, as one author said, ah, if, I were to, if you were to go as a pastor into your congregation and ask people to give a definition of a gospel, how many definitions would you hear? What is this we are to proclaim? Because if we don't get this right, the church is neutralized. It just becomes a social club that helps people out along the way. We're just, just like the Lions, just like Rotary. And they all have mission statements. They all have purpose statements. They give. Trust me, if you've ever been a part of Rotary, you get the bell rung on you, you've got to give money. So what's the difference between them and us? And that's the mission. So if you have your Bibles or your smartphones, I want you to go to 2 Corinthians 5, 
because that's where we're going to camp out today. 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 17. We're going to read, I'm going to read the whole thing, and we'll start slicing it up. This is Paul writing to the church of Corinth. And he says, therefore, as we're reading this, I made it easy for you. It's underlined, these words that are repeated over and over and over again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gives us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The good news is that the hostility, the hatred between God and sinners is, can be dealt with forever and end because of the gospel of reconciliation. The word Christ and reconciliation pops up five different times, each one. Reconciliation, reconciled, reconciliation, reconciliation. And what reconciliation simply means is that man and God can get together. They were once together, sin separated that, but once sin is dealt with, back to recon being reconciled together. Our mission as part of the church is to call people to be reconciled to God because we have the truth. Guys, we have the most powerful thing in the world, more powerful than the cure of cancer, the cure of war, of anything. We have the cure that will stop the hatred and the judgment that has to happen between God and man, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ, where the hostility, the hostility between hopeless sinners is all of a sudden taken care of because of a holy God will end it. Because of reconciliation. Reconciliation is God's will. Five times within that passage. Let's look at it again, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Verse 19, all this is from God. Verse 19, God was reconciling. He committed, he, he has committed to us, making his appeal through, God is making his appeal through us. Verse 21, God made him. Everything is from God. This has been God's plan from the very, very beginning, that God is a reconciling God. God is a saving God. Son Chronicles gives you a little picture of this, where it says, the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them <coughs> through the messengers, <coughs> Again and again, this phrase could actually go again and again and again and again and again and again. And if you read the Old, Old Testament, you will see that over and over and over again. Send prophets, send prophets, send prophet. Message of hope, message of hope, message of hope. Because why? He had a pity. He had pity on the people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messenger despised his words, scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. God continues to want to save his people, but mankind continues to mock the messengers. 
and what was true in Chronicles is true today. It's never going to end because there is this sinfulness in all of us that we want to do things our way in our time and we don't need help. But that's not true because the only way to get into a relationship with God, with God is through this reconciliation. Jesus is a perfect example of that. You have, you have Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Remember little Zacchaeus in a tree. Some of you from Sunday school could sing the song. Because he was so small, so short, he had to crawl in a tree to see Jesus. And Jesus sees him up there because he was a tax collector. No one liked him. No, no, we don't like it. if you, someone from here. I don't know if we've ever had someone who worked for the IRS at this church. Maybe you do, but you just keep that part probably quiet. Because that's not a popular thing. Yeah, I'm an IRS agent. I mean, and that's what Zacchaeus was looking at. I mean, because he he stole money. He he, he abused the the setting. And so all of a sudden, Zacchaeus in the tree, and Jesus looks at him, hey, I'm going to have dinner with you tonight, Zacchaeus. And because of that encounter, Zacchaeus says, hey, if I, I will never rip off anybody else. As a matter of fact, if I have taken more than I should, I'm going to pay them four times as much back. And Jesus said to him in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. If you go back a few chapters in Luke 15, you have the story of the lost sheep, you have the story of the lost coin, and you have the story of the lost son. All of which, you know, the lost sheep Guy goes out, shepherd goes out, takes a hundred, comes back, counts them 99, leaves the 99 to find the one, and when he finds it, it says he threw a party. I love that. The next one, the lost coin, a woman has a coin, says she lost him, and she tears her whole house apart, and she finally finds him, and what does she do? She throws a party. The son who demands, I want my inheritance now, goes off, loses it all, comes back, dad, dad, I beg just to be back in this a slave. And the father cries back, says, get a robe, get rings for his fingers and, and the shoes for his feet and kill the fatted calf because we're going to have a party. Because God is a God of salvation, a God who saves, a God who wants to redeem. He wants to have reconciliation. And the character of God is constantly shown to seek and save the lost. Reconciliation shows God's nature. It is will. It is his plan. John MacArthur put it this way. Reconciliation is a divine provision by which God's holy displeasure has been been appeased, the hostility removed, and sinners restored to himself. But that's because reconciliation is accomplished by the forgiveness of sin, plain and simple. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19. And this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself, Christ, not counting men's sin against them. I love the passage in Psalms where it says that God has cast our sins as far as you know, east is from west and cast them in the deepest ocean. It's not that God has forgotten. It's not like he ooh, had a mind melt and it, it just went away. He is choosing not to hold that against us. Kind of like forgiveness in marriage. It's not that you're going to forget anything. You're just choosing not to, to, 
to hold that against the person. And that's what has happened through Christ. Because of Jesus Christ, God is no longer going to hold us accountable. Hold that against us. Romans 4, 8 says, blessed is the man who sin the Lord will never count against him. And this is done through obedience of faith, right? That's where reconciliation happens, when we act in obedience. That's why I love the passage that says, we are his ambassadors, he says. You're an ambassador of God. I mean, you watch the news, ambassadors are moving all over the place with this whole thing of ambassador being sent here, and this one's going here, and this one's going here. They represent the nation. They represent authority. And each one of you who God has tapped on the shoulder has been given that ambassadorship for him. You are ambassador of God to represent him. And we have this message, Romans 10, 9 through 11. Again, if you're in Growing Strong, you can probably memorize this passage as well. That if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture, scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. This is because sin has been dealt with plain and simple. God made him who knew no sin, verse 21 says. God made Christ who knew no sin, which means he was sinless. Jesus did nothing wrong, but he became sin. He he is now not a sinner, Jesus did not become a sinner on the cross. There are some people that, in some churches that preach, well, Jesus became a sinner on the cross and then went to hell and had to be punished because he was a sinner and then rose on the third day. That is not what's true in Scripture, guys. God made him God's plan that he now looks upon Jesus as one who sent. God treated, I love this quote, God treated Jesus on the cross as if he had personally committed every sin that ever was ever committed by every person who would ever believe. Now I've brought this sculpture out before. Um, I see it, I saw it. Some of you just should have had a bigger platform. Um, I told no one they could carry this because if someone dropped it, they might go to hell after that. I just, no, just kidding. Uh, but I, I, this is my first and only sculpture I've ever done. Uh, someday we'll get it bronze when I'm rich and famous. But if you were to look at it closely, you'll see that every sin in the Bible is pressed into a skin, into the clay. My vision of this would be someday that it'd be life-size and you could actually come up and touch your sin. Uh, don't come up here and touch this, then you'll wipe it away because it's in clay, so... But he became sin. That the sins of the world, your sins, my sins, and every one of them is listed here. Matter of fact, I have one that just is blank. You can fill in the blank yourself if I missed one. But I don't think we did this at staff and we came up with a long list and every single one is impressed into his skin. He became sin. He did not become a sinner. And the wrath of God was poured out on him. Because 
that was a thought this morning. I'm going, I will never. I got it. I will never experience that. I will never have to experience the wrath of God because of what Christ did on the cross. This means God exploded his wrath of all of mankind's sin upon him. And that's why when we look at Easter, when we look at the passion of Christ, if you watch the movie The Passion, I mean, it's a hard movie to watch. But what he experienced for each one of us. He became our substitute. And so, everything that you can even imagine, every sin you've ever committed or will commit, the wrath of God was poured upon him so that it wouldn't be poured upon you. God treated Jesus on the cross as if he personally committed that. But what I love about the second part of this passage, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who knew no sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So how many righteous people are here? Who, who are, who's righteous? Any, any just righteous, sinless people here? Just... Okay, good, because we, we don't allow perfect people in this church, okay? Uh, actually, we did a flyer once that said, no perfect people allowed. And some people said, are you, why are you saying that? Because there is none, all right? all right? No one can be there. None of us meets up, guys. You could be the best person that the world has ever seen, and to God, I won't go into details. Some of you said, you don't go into details. Our good deeds are like filthy rags to God. There's nothing we can do. And on the cross, Jesus was not a sinner, but God treated him as if he was. But because of the cross, you're not righteous, but he treats you as if you were. What a great gospel. I was sharing our Holy Smoke last Tuesday that I had a friend who, he was Zoroastrian, his religion, and in Zoroastrian religion, Basically, it comes down to how do you get to heaven? You have to do two good deeds for every one bad you did. And I'm sitting there at Chuck's with him. I'm going, what? Wow. Two bad deeds for every, two good deeds for every one bad? So let me get this straight. You could be up in heaven. You died, and you're standing there for judgment. And he's reading through the book and says, oh, man, if you'd have given one more dollar to that guy in front of Burger King, you'd be in. Man. I said, what a horrible way to live. But when I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart, the wrath I deserved was poured out upon him. And the righteousness he has was put to my account. That when he looks at me, he says, he sees Jesus' righteousness, not mine. That's the gospel of reconciliation. That because of a sacrifice of Christ and I choose 
at a point in time to say, I believe in that, I trust that, I'm going to embrace that. I bring nothing to the game of that other than my belief. That it's at that stage that my sins are never going to be held against me again. Guys, if you're a believer in Christ here, there's not going to be a day when all your sins are going to pass in front of you in heaven because they've been dealt with. The only thing we will have to, as, as believers in Christ, have to face is what we did with the time, gifts, and talents. How, how, how were you as an ambassador of God? That's what we're going to be judged upon, guys. And that's where rewards will be handed out. But my sin, never to be held against me again because of what Christ did on the cross. That's why Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the mission of the church is to bring that message of reconciliation, to call people to that. And he says, all authority has been given to me. I'm I'm passing that on to you. Matter of fact, I'm making you my ambassadors and you're my ambassadors and you're my ambassadors and you're my ambassadors to take that truth. Be my hands, be my mouth. Go out and tell people about this. Because it says you are my ambassadors. It doesn't say you might be or could be. The only difference is, are you a good one or a bad one? Are there some bad ambassadors out there that have represented countries? (laughs) Now, yes. That have their own self-interest and their own mission plans involved? Yes. But God has set me on a mission as his ambassador with a message of reconciliation that I can tell people a simple truth that will eradicate the hatred towards sin that they can enter a relationship with God Almighty and to become part of the mission. And each one of you here, if you're a believer in Christ, has been tapped on the shoulder to say, I need you. I need your help in building my church and I've prepared you with the gifts and talents necessary to do that. The question is, will we? The mission of the church is to go into the world and make disciples by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit. Gathering those disciples in the churches that they may worship and obey Jesus now and into eternity to the glory of God the Father. That's the mission of the church very simple. It's a mission that doesn't need to be deconstructed. It doesn't need to be reimagined because the mission is the mission. How it looks, what flavor it takes, uh, that can change. But the word, the mission is the same. And God is still wanting his ambassadors to go into the world because a 2,000 foot Jesus is not going to appear over Galt saying, go see Tim. It's not going to happen. That's not how he works. He's not going to send angels to do it. He has chosen each one of us in all our frailty, in all, well, I don't know everything. I don't know everything. But he still calls us to take that message out because that's the mission that he has set for us to do. If you're here today, and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I'm going to be down here. Come up and talk to me. We'll get you 
going in the right direction. Don't leave here if that's a tug on your heart. I, I, I'm not part of the mission yet. I, I haven't done that. I've never personally committed myself to Jesus Christ. Don't leave here. I'll be sitting down here. As Christians, you've been tapped on the shore. You've been gifted. Be a part of the mission. If it's not here, find a church that you can be a part of the mission of. But be involved. Put on a shirt. Figure out where God has placed you. Get online and take that spiritual gift test, and we'll start directing you and pointing you in the right direction. But that's the mission of the church, is to make disciples, and you're a part of that mission. Father in heaven, I thank you for today. I thank you for, uh, well, Father, for not giving up, us, uh, up on us. At any point in time, you could have started over with the dogs and the cats, I guess, but you chose not to because you love this world. You sent your son to bear a horrible death in your wrath in order that we would not have to. And you ask us to trust that. You ask us to embrace that truth, the place that at the center of our heart and life. And Lord, I, I pray and I thank you that you tapped us on the shoulder and said you want us to be a part of that mission. Father, for friends, for family, for coworkers, classmates, neighbors, who don't know the truth, may we truly be your ambassador to bring them that gospel of reconciliation. And we thank you for trusting us with that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.